It is a state capital report on the morning show. I'm Kate Archer Kent. We get up to speed on the legislative priorities of the state Senate's minority leader, including bills involving the Brewer Stadium renovation, absentee voting and marijuana use. Call in along the way with a question. Share your thoughts at 800-642-1234. Email ideas at WPR.org. Melissa Agard is a Democratic state senator representing parts of Dane County. State Senator Agard, welcome back to the Ideas Network. Good morning, Kate. I'm so happy to start my week out with you. Oh, great. Well, let's first turn to the Brewer Stadium. Um, Was politics reporting Governor Tony Evers lobbying Democratic senators to support the nearly $650 million proposal for renovations to uh, American Family Field. Where is your caucus on the proposal to repair the stadium? So certainly I have been um, pretty clear with the fact that I would like to get to a point where we are excited about voting for yes, um, voting yes for the Brewer Stadium. Um, And it is vitally important to myself and my colleagues and I think the folks that we represent uh, across the state of Wisconsin, the good people, Um, that we put together the best deal possible for our local governments, as well as um, the people in Wisconsin, with the ultimate goal of keeping the brewers here, um, but ensuring that the state isn't overpaying for this process. So we believe strongly that the deal reached by the Assembly has significant work that needs to be done to it. Um, We would like to see the amount that the state contributes to be lowered and to increase the amount that the team is putting in um, in the pot and ensuring that the city and the county of Milwaukee are not adversely impacted by this deal. Um, there have been so many examples since my time in the legislature where the city and the county of Milwaukee have um, been harmed by legislation being passed in the Capitol building. And I think that we need to make sure that that's not happening. Republican Representative Rob Brooks of Sockville is a co-author of this stadium funding plan, and Brooks calls adding a ticket tax a non-starter. Brewers officials say they oppose taxing fans and raising taxes, quote, on hardworking families. How do you respond to those comments? Well, certainly there's a lot of work that is um, being done on the bill still. Initially, we saw, thought that it would be on the floor tomorrow when the Senate is in session, but it's looking like it's going to be the 14th. Um, if we can get it uh, to a point where there's bipartisan agreement. But frankly, the majority party of Wisconsin is just that. They are the majority party of Wisconsin. And they have a super majority in the Senate. And, you know, they need to do the work. Sounds like their caucus isn't even all the way on board. I would love it to be bipartisan, as I pointed out. And I think that there are folks of um, different party affiliations that are talking about different types of Um, tax structures, and one of them including a ticket tax on non-brewer events that happen on the stadium, possibly brewer events that start, that are um, occurring in the stadium. But there's a lot of um, triggers at this point back and forth, and we're hopeful in the next few days that we're going to be able to see more clearly um, a path forward. When you talk about um, a super majority, how does your caucus approach these types of debate debates on bills working with a Republican supermajority in the state Senate? Yeah, so I think there is a good example with the um, shared revenue bill from um, earlier this year. Clearly, when um, the majority party does want to have um, us at the table, they um, we are there. And, you know, sometimes that is 
um, a little challenging to get into that room, but every day I'm reminding um, Republican leadership that we are here and that we represent our constituents in the same way that they do and that we want to be involved in these conversations. It's better for all of us. And through that collaboration, we were able to pass a shared revenue bill um, for local governments in Wisconsin um, that benefited them. Yes, there were parts of that bill that were um, very, very concerning to many, many members of my caucus. Um, but, you know, what we saw was um, how government is supposed to be working with people coming together and having deliberative conversations and figuring out how that we're going to overcome the challenges. And I think overwhelmingly people see the brewers as a team they want to have in the state of Wisconsin. And there is still hope that we're going to be able to get there. But it means that um, no one is going to get 100 percent of their way. We're talking about state policy with Melissa Agard, Democratic State Senate Minority Leader. You can join in with your questions and comments along the way, 800-642-1234. Let's bring in Carol in Milwaukee. Hi, Carol. What is your question? Well, I'm wondering, isn't the city and the county of Milwaukee doing a favor also for the brewers? And why do we have to pay a multi-million dollar industries? cost why can't they pay for themselves if they are so successful thank you carol go ahead senator agard thank you carol for that question so um i agree that um they are a corporation that needs to pay their um pay their share um we need to remember however that the state of wisconsin does own two-thirds of the stadium and this is about protecting an asset that we as the state of Wisconsin own um, and seeking innovative solutions so that we don't find ourselves in this position moving forward. Um, the mayor and the county executive from Milwaukee have been at the table and um, they are the leaders that have been elected um, for those bodies. And they're feeling like if we can uh, lower the amount that the state is contributing, um, that they're comfortable with what they um, are contributing um, and that the team increases what they um, are currently um, slotted to contribute, if we can increase that amount and not increase any sort of adversarially impact and policies into the bill that the city and the county um, will benefit. It won't be like that the plan that was passed decades ago. We're going to turn now to elections. Lawmakers are considering a bill that um, supporters say would streamline the process for election clerks to count absentee ballots. Do you support the bill's goal of allowing clerks to count absentee ballots before Election Day? So the devil is in the details with all policymaking. And in my time in the Capitol, we have had numbers of um, bills that have come um, through the committee process and scheduled for floor debate um, that would be beneficial to the people of Wisconsin. And then at the last minute, we've seen um, amendments made that are concerning. So um, I'm just saying that as a caveat that, you know, that that the details of policymaking is vitally important, but it we have been talking about for uh, many sessions, the importance of local election clerks to be able to start counting their ballots um, the before the polls close, um, before election day. Um, many people are returning their ballots um, days and weeks ahead um, due to absentee voting, uh, the ability of people in Wisconsin to vote through absentee voting. And um, if we can provide some relief to our clerks and the folks who administer our elections in Wisconsin, 
um, who make sure that our elections are safe and secure, um, I fully support that. Well, within the details, then what changes would you seek before voting for the legislation? Um, I'm, you know, I, I don't have that bill in front of me right now, Kate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, I, um, I point out that amendments can be made at any, so any point in time, um, through the process, even on the floor of the Senate. And it's important for us to be keeping track of those and making sure that we're not causing harm to the sanctity of our elections in Wisconsin. Last month, you introduced a bill that would legalize recreational marijuana use for residents over 21 and establish government regulations. Which state should Wisconsin follow as a model for regulations? So I fully support um, and have been a lead um, for cannabis legalization, um, adult usage 21 and up in Wisconsin, taxing and regulating as we do with alcohol. Um, for for a decade, and um, Governor Evers has included uh, the these provisions in his budget over the last two budget cycles as well. We know that um, well over two thirds of folks in Wisconsin support uh, responsible adult usage of cannabis, and that. 23 states, including Minnesota, Michigan, and Illinois, have legalized for responsible adult usage. Um, it's a matter of time. Uh, it, it's past time that we get this done for the state of Wisconsin. Um, the people of our state want this done, and it is, I know, going to be safer um, once we do legalize uh, cannabis in the state of Wisconsin. I firmly believe that the most dangerous thing about cannabis in our state is that it remains illegal. Um, but that there are many other benefits through the legalization process that we can address as well. I'd like to unpack that line because I've heard you say it before. The most dangerous thing about cannabis is that it is illegal. What do you mean by that? So here in Wisconsin, we have a wildly um, successful illicit market that currently exists. We have um, over half of the people in Wisconsin, uh, 21 and older, live within 75 minutes of legal dispensaries. And that's before Minnesota has even started issuing licenses and and selling. Um, People are accessing cannabis, but it is not regulated and taxed um, in our state. Um, And additionally, people are choosing to drive over to other states and then come back to Wisconsin with cannabis that was purchased legally in those states, but it is not legal here and that puts them in in harm's way. Um, We also know that um, budgets are tight and our governments at all levels um, are having to spend money, their resources um, to to enforce out-of-date and immoral laws in the state of Wisconsin. We are right now spending um, tens of millions, if not over $100 million um, um, of our money is going to pay tax, is going to tax revenue in in other communities where they're able to actually invest in safety and security um, in those communities. Democratic State Senator Melissa Agard of Madison sharing her legislative priorities and those of her caucus as the senator's uh, Senate's minority leader. You can be part of the conversation at any point. Ask a question, add your views, 800-642-1234. This is the State Capitol Report. I'm Kate Archer-Kent. You're listening to The Morning Show on the Ideas Network.
It is a state capitol report on the morning show. I'm Kate Archer Kent. We check in with the state Senate's minority leader, Melissa Agard of Madison, on bills she seeks to advance and the priorities of Democrats in the upper house. Call in with a question about legislation and state politics. Share your thoughts at 800-642-1234. Email ideas at WPR.org. Let's bring in Matt in Milwaukee. Hi, Matt. Go ahead. Good morning. Uh, uh, I have some familiarity with the subject. Our son uh, got a uh, plant biology degree from the UW, and he had to go to Michigan to uh, work in the cannabis industry. So we're hoping uh, someday he can come back to uh, Wisconsin and uh, make a living here. Uh, But my question is, um, I hear a lot of uh, uh, different ideas of why Wisconsin is, you know, uh, 15 years behind uh, Michigan and five years behind Illinois and a few years behind uh, Minnesota. What, who is opposing this? Uh, I know Robin Voss is very vocally opposed to marijuana. Uh, And I hear that maybe the Tavern League is fighting legalization. Uh, I would just love to hear your response. Matt, thank you. State Senator, where is the opposition coming from? Hi, Matt. Thank you very much for that question. So it's unfortunate that we aren't able to move forward on many policies that the vast majority of folks in Wisconsin support and that for some reason, um, they get bottlenecked in the Capitol building. Um, but I firmly believe that the reason why cannabis legalization is not moving forward, we haven't even been able to have a public hearing on the bill that I have introduced for over a decade that is supported by nearly 70% of the people in Wisconsin is because of the gerrymandered Republican uh, majority of the Capitol building. Um, in the same reason why we don't have haven't expanded Badger Care in the state of Wisconsin to um, tens of thousands of friends and neighbors, um, in the same way what, that we don't have um, reproductive freedoms, and um, the same reason why um, we haven't been able to address gun violence, and that our schools aren't fully funded, and that we're not protecting our environment. These are issues that matter to um, Wisconsinites. Period. They're not partisan. Um, And uh, we're going to continue moving forward because there is a court case before um, the Wisconsin Supreme Court where they're going to start hearing oral arguments just in a matter of weeks um, to um, see if we can address that gerrymandering and make sure that our legislature is more accountable to the good people of the state of Wisconsin. Let's go bring in Jeff and Delafield. Jeff, hi. Go ahead. Yes, good morning. Thank you. Um, I'm a voter and I'm a Wisconsinite and I'm opposed to, passionately opposed to uh, legalized marijuana in Wisconsin. There's a school of thought that it's a gateway drug that just causes uh, drug use to spiral out of control. Uh, There's evidence that uh, states that have legalized it aren't recognizing the tax revenue that they thought they would due to it just drives it more and more underground. And there's also a school of thought that it increases uh, the homelessness problems. So, I um, I mean, I am passionately opposed to legalization of marijuana, so I am one of those voters that totally disagrees with that. Uh, thank you. Jeff, thank you for the call. State Senator Agar, go ahead on these oppositions. 
Absolutely, Jeff. And I, you know, I hear you and I know that um, it is important to realize that there are diverse um, opinions when it comes to nearly everything that comes across my desk. Um, prohibition of alcohol did not work in the state of Wisconsin or in our nation. Um, and there was in fact a time when margarine was prohibited to be sold in Wisconsin and um, people would run around their neighborhoods and take orders for oleo um, as they were going to drive to states like Illinois to purchase. That did not work as well. Um, we will have more protections um, in the state of Wisconsin to address youth usage, impairment, um, and um, with thoughtful policymaking, we certainly can address the tax structure and make sure that there is revenue that would be brought into the state of Wisconsin and that we're able to do everything um, we can to tamp out the illicit market. State Senator uh, Melissa Agar, we're going to move to child care. Governor Tony Evers directing $170 million in federal aid to extend the child care assistance program through June of 2025. Is that enough funding to address child care needs in our state? Well, so we know that the child care crisis um, has been real and pervasive in the state of Wisconsin for decades. Um, child care providers are in fact the backbone of our economy and it is vitally important that we lift up the workers in this industry and ensure that we don't have um, child care deserts as well. Um, 54% of the state of Wisconsin is a child care desert where there literally is few to no high quality options for childcare. And then we have the other challenges as of the cost of childcare for many, many families in Wisconsin. I'm grateful for the fact that Governor Evers did ask for the Child Care Counts program to be refunded through the state budget. Republicans did take that out. Um, our kids and families and business owners are asking for this. Um, they have been loud about it um, and very passionate. And because of that, Governor Evers did um, put a stopgap measure um, to provide a authorization of funding, as you pointed out. But this is temporary. It is not a long-term fix. Um, and we know that we need to figure out how it is that we're going to address this child care crisis that exists in Wisconsin um, though we are um, putting a Band-Aid on it right now, we know that it is not enough and that it is not sustainable. So aside from this funding, what other steps could lawmakers take to address child care shortages, to address the cost for families here in Wisconsin? Well, um, very much in the way that um, we provide um, through the state funding for 4K and um, education in the state of Wisconsin, um, I believe that we should be looking at how it is that we um, support um, the childcare industry. And um, this isn't uh, a privilege for people in the state of Wisconsin, as some of my colleagues have pointed, uh, tried to, to say that maybe moms should just stay home with their kids. Um, the reality is that businesses, um, as well as parents and children, benefit from high quality, affordable childcare in their in the in their communities and we absolutely need to make sure that um, we're not just doing this emergency stopgap um, and the legislature does take action to provide the long-term funding and solutions to our child care industry um, that we have proposed over the session and we know that there is more that we can be doing as well um, but you have to start somewhere in the child care counts program and ensuring that it is um, permanent for folks in Wisconsin is an important first step. We have about 20 seconds left. What have you learned about leading your caucus one year in as minority leader? 
Um, so we have passionate, um, thoughtful folks that are um, coming to the Capitol every day working in um, benefit of the people of the state of Wisconsin. Um, and despite the fact that we are in the minority, we know that we represent the majority of the views and values of folks. And uh, we're going to continue pushing forward to make sure that the hardworking people of the state of Wisconsin know that they are being represented um, um, by uh, compassionate and hardworking folks. State Senator Agard, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Kate. Melissa Agard is a Democratic state senator representing parts of Dane County. Agard serves as minority leader, was first elected to the state Senate in 2020. This is a state capitol report. I'm Kate Archer-Kent. You're listening to The Morning Show here on the Ideas Network. It is the State Capitol Report on The Morning Show. I'm Kate Archer-Kent. We learn what is being done about Wisconsin households and businesses that cannot yet connect to high-speed internet and how our state is using over $1 billion in federal funds to get broadband to underserved areas. Call in with a question. Share your concerns at 800-642-1234. Email ideas at wpr.org. Alyssa Kenny is Broadband and Digital Equity Director at the Public Service Commission of Wisconsin. Alyssa, welcome back to the Ideas Network. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me back. The Public Service Commission is drafting a five-year equity plan to receive this federal funding through the bipartisan infrastructure law. What are the main goals of the statewide plan? Sure. So that, you know, the overarching goal is that everybody in the state has equitable access to affordable broadband and that broadband benefits every resident in every community. What does digital equity mean here in Wisconsin? Can you give us more of this definition? Sure. So digital digital equity is 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 beyond the access to the facility. And so um, sort of the first the first part is just that broadband infrastructure access. So everybody actually has a, a physical connection where they can get onto the internet. And the equity part is really, it's affordable. People have the digital skills and the devices they need to make full use of it. The internet is a place that has content that's relevant to them that's you know that fits their needs that meets their literacy goal and that the internet has content that they can use that they trust so that they can find um, information that's trustworthy and that they're looking for and so the digital equity piece is really it's really extending beyond that access all the way to really making full use of it so it's i can do a telemedicine appointment i can help my child do virtual school I can work remotely if I need to. I can, you know, grab a hunting license online if that's the way to do it. And so it's really, I can make full use of accessing the internet to be part of society. So as you say, part of this digital equity is about building up our state's digital skills, our residents' digital skills. Who is facing the the biggest gap in digital skills and what are the barriers to developing those skills? 
Sure. So I think there's a lot of um, a lot of different groups, and it depends on um, depends kind of on the specific skill set. And so I think we we often think of older adults as a group that might need some digital skills, and I would say that is a group, but it certainly is not the only one. There's also um, folks in the in the state that have lower literacy, or maybe they're not native English speakers, and so they might need additional um, support. And so I'm thinking about you know recent refugees and immigrants and other people in the state. And then there's um, folks that have recently been incarcerated, and so they haven't been having access to the internet for a number of years, and so they're coming out of the prison system and they're needing some additional digital skills. And then you know the other group we see is just folks who maybe were wholly cell phone users. And so they were sort of able to meet a lot of their digital needs just with a, a cell phone. And then all of a sudden, maybe something changes in their life. They have a child in school, or they need to be participating in telemedicine appointments, or they need information. And so they need sort of more robust digital skills and to be able to access more information online. Would the plan ensure every household in Wisconsin without broadband could receive access over the next five years? So the digital equity plan and then the sort of the sister plan to that is called BEAD. Um, those together um, are basically a, a plan for by 2030, every business and every resident in the state to have access to internet. And so according to the plan, that is the hope. Obviously, there's lots of things that we um, need to hope will happen as far as, you know, infrastructure and participation in the program by broadband service providers. But that is the plan by 2030 to have everyone connected. Broadband equity access and deployment um, bead is what that stands for. What strategies um, is the Public Service Commission considering to improve internet access in the the most rural parts of Wisconsin? So they're, you know, they're proposing to deploy that bead funding, that acronym that you just said, they're going to deploy that to sub-awardees. So internet service providers or other, you know, there might be rural telephone co-ops or others. And so they'll put those locations and those areas that we know need service out for sub-grants or basically awardees. And they'll really work hard to drive the most funding and the needed amount of funding to those areas in the state that need it the most. We're talking about our state's plans to strengthen Internet access. Alyssa Kenny with us leads broadband and digital equity for the Public Service Commission of Wisconsin. You can join in with your questions and comments along the way at 800-642-1234. Email ideas at WPR.org. Let's bring in Reggie in Oshkosh with a question. Hi, Reggie. Go ahead. Hi. Um, I was just wondering what can be done. I don't live in a, a rural area, but my area is extremely monopolized with one ISP. Um, another competitor has been trying to move in, but the city charges outrageous rates for them to get permits to lay cable, which is effectively keeping a monopoly in place when we could have a competitive market. And I wondered what could be done about that. Reggie, thank you. Alyssa, what do you make of this scenario? Reggie, thank you so much for calling in this question. And it it really is true. Competition does influence the prices of broadband. I will say with the bead and the internet for all dollars, the, the focus is very much on people who don't have access, not on building where there is a you know a robust service available. 
That said, you know, one of the things that was part of the bipartisan infrastructure law was for the affordable connectivity program, which is at least one opportunity for lower income households to be eligible for a subsidy to lower the cost. But competition does um, decrease the prices and it's difficult in areas without competition. Largely the federal dollars will go to areas where there's either no provider or the service is basically insufficient. It doesn't meet those minimum broadband standards. Yes, the the digital equity plan says affordability is the largest barrier to adoption of internet service in Wisconsin. How does the, the Public Service Commission plan to address these steep internet prices? Sure. So for all the um, bead infrastructure dollars, so the dollars that are the locations or communities that are built with bead dollars, the providers will be required to provide a low cost plan to people who at least uh, qualify for that below 200% of poverty, essentially, or there's there's a number of underqualifications. And so there will be a low cost plan requirement for everybody who builds with bead dollars for those facilities. And so that will at least ensure that our our low-income residents and our residents all the way up to 200% of poverty have an option to have a more affordable service. As of August, the Public Service Commission says um, over 894,000 households qualify for the state's affordable connectivity program, but less than half of households use the program, which provides a $30 discount per month. What barriers do you find for people to sign up for the program? So the ACP is the FCC's federal program, and it um, we have just about half of eligible residents in the state that are enrolled in that program. And while half don't, Wisconsin remains in the top 10 states for enrollment, so we're still doing really incredibly well across the nation for outreach and enrollment. That said, people who... Um, aren't doing it. It could be because their internet service provider isn't accepting the discount. It could be because um, they're in some type of contract or some type of agreement where um, they they can't switch services at the time. It could be because they're, um, the service they have is sufficient or working for their needs. There's, there's also people who are re- rejected for kind of what I would call the, those, those silly reasons like when they did their first application, they did junior with a JR period. And then the next time they didn't put the period there so that the database is having some matching problems and they have to submit some additional paperwork. And so we see a number of reasons that that people um, choose themselves not to enroll in the program. And then some people do get rejected and have to um, upload more, more paperwork to make sure to prove that they're eligible. I I do think it's really important to note that the Affordable Connectivity Program has been really tremendous. We've gotten, you know, almost a million more people or a million people getting a discount so they can spend a little less on broadband and spend more on all those other household essentials. Um, But the program is scheduled to run out of funding in 2024. And without federal action, it would not be extended. Is other funding available to continue the program at, you know, by the middle of next year, as you said, funding for the program would end? There has not been a federal source identified at this point in time. Um, I would say there's tremendous bipartisan support, numerous governors, senators, um, folks from all over the country that are really deeply supporting this, including internet service providers that that see this as a really great opportunity to 
extend their service to, to low-income households and, and make sure that everyone can afford the service. But, uh, you know, it, it's really up to Congress to act. Alyssa Kenny is Broadband and Digital Equity Director at the State Public Service Commission focused on making high-speed internet and technology available to all Wisconsinites. Call in with a question. You can share your thoughts at any point, 800-642-1234. This is the State Capital Report. I'm Kate Archer-Kent. You're listening to The Morning Show on the Ideas Network. It is the State Capitol Report on the Morning Show. I'm Kate Archer-Kent. We examine work underway to create digital inclusiveness in our state. The Federal Digital Equity Act seeks to close the digital divide, and Wisconsin's digital equity plan is nearing completion. You can be part of the discussion about broadband. Call in with a question. Share thoughts, 800-642-1234. Email ideas at WPR.org. We have Alyssa Kenny, Broadband and Digital Equity Director at the State Public Service Commission. Let's bring in Jane and Swamico. Jane, hi. Yes, hello. Could she speak, please, to um, how where the initial request comes from. Wisconsin has 72 counties, and uh, does every county have to ask for uh, this service, or where does it begin? Jane, thank you. And what about these initial requests, Alyssa, on service? Sure. So for the individual counties do not need to ask for for the the funding the funding will largely go to entities that basically build and operate broadband facilities so in the state of wisconsin that's largely internet service providers in some case it might be a municipality or a a rural or an electric co-op and so the applications will come from them and so in 2024 the state will will open up basically those locations that are what we call unserved or underserved, so still needing investments, and the providers or the entities that will build, own, and operate those facilities will apply to the commission to receive the funding to build that out. And who are like community partners that will need to carry out the, the or help to carry out the digital equity plan? Who do you see as your community partners here? Boy, so for the digital equity plan, we uh, the digital equity outreach team at the commission and then our partners at UW Extension, we went all over the state. We did 189 meetings. Um, I would say really key partners are libraries. It is a place that people go to get information, digital literacy, you know, ask a question. It's a place people go to use computers. So we see libraries. There's also just a fantastic and robust network of really talented nonprofits that are doing this type of work, whether they're doing it for people who are recently incarcerated or they're doing it for um, folks, you know, like the literacy, the Wisconsin Literacy Network organizations, United Ways. And so there's just a fantastic amount of entities that are really doing great work to help people really make full use of the internet, learn those skills, get a device. Um, And then for the BEAD and for the the access portion, county governments and um, tribal governments are really important. They're, they really 
know the community the best, and they might have the sort of best insight in which provider they want, what type of service. And so for that broadband access piece, those local governments, many of whom have broadband committees or broadband work groups now, are, are really critical to making sure we get the access piece right. So with that backdrop, the digital equity plan, um, the draft plan, includes recommendations um, from state agencies like the Department of Public Instruction. What is the agency recommending for schools? So the Department of Public Instruction, there's a, a Wisconsin schools are very connected. Our Department of Public Instruction, our schools themselves have done a great job, but there are a few schools that still do not have high-speed internet connections. So the Department of Public Instruction certainly wants to make sure that those schools have the opportunity to get to connected. And then the Department of Public Instruction really, um, affordability is, a, is a, a, a big issue for their students. And so they really, they asked for some particular point point price points and to make sure that the internet was really going to be affordable for the, the families and the students that they serve. What are you learning from the State Department of Workforce Development in this area about the needs of job seekers and employers? Yeah, so, you know, the Department of Workforce Development has a a broadband apprenticeship program that they've been running that really helps um, provide some training and some specific support to make sure we're skilling and upskilling the workforce and that internet service providers and industry have access to a quality apprenticeship program. And then in addition, the Wisconsin Technical College System, we have some of the some really great broadband technician programs in our state. And they're they're both in-person and virtual programs. They're offered regionally throughout the state. And those programs are really helpful. I would say it won't be just about the positions we need to build the broadband. It will also be the help desk and the customer service and the trenchers. There will be um, upwards of 2,000 additional jobs that will be needed to fully build out all the broadband infrastructure and really make full use of this $1 billion of bead money. I would also imagine it would benefit employers in the area of their employees building, um, you know, their digital skills. And that could have an effect on like, you know, creating jobs and and boosting wages and even career advancement. Do you you see it that way? Yeah, I think those digital literacy and those digital skills classes are really, they're an opportunity, not just to access digital society, but to upskill your skills for the workforce, for, you know, um, and and just ongoing, it opens the door to lots of ongoing learning and lifelong learning. And so I think that digital literacy piece really, really does open up, um, supports the current workforce, but also gives people more opportunity. The Public Service Commission is working with the Great Lakes Intertribal Council to ensure broadband access. What assistance is needed to provide better improved internet for the state's tribes? Um, so the state's tribes there, you know, they also have lots of locations where the service is unavailable and the service or the service that is there is just insufficient for the needs. And just like other places in the state, sometimes that service that's available is unaffordable. Um, and so that, you know, each tribe is unique and has maybe their own needs related to their geography and the way that, you know, they want to connect their community and their um, their residents. But 
but certainly a lot of the same issues that mm. that we see across the state. So that there's access, there's the internet that there is not sufficient, or the internet that's available is affordable. We also see a number of tribes in the state that are building their own facilities or are part owners in the facilities that are built on their land. And so they have some some different approaches depending on the tribe, but but many of the same the same issues. Alyssa Kenny leads broadband and digital equity for the Public Service Commission. Let's bring in Jim in Fond du Lac. Jim, hi. Go ahead. All right. Thank you for taking my call. So I've, for the last 10 years or so, since halfway through Obama's uh, presidency, I've been putting communication lines underground as well as other utilities. I was wondering, uh, you were saying that the next year there's no need for that the money was not going to be there unless something's done in government. So are you saying that the main trunk lines are no longer going to be a priority to get put underground here soon? Jim, thanks for your question. I think I I was just saying that the affordable connectivity program funding, which is a a discount for low-income families, will, will end next year without action from Congress. But the BEAD funding, the funding for that infrastructure and those underground um, or aerial, but that those broadband facilities is certain. Jim, thank you for that question. Um, Last month, the public comment period closed for our state's draft digital equity plan. What feedback did you receive from public comments? Yeah, we got, we have some really good feedback. Um, Really very much appreciate the public members that took the time to read the plan um, and and comment on it. You know, we had a number of small corrections. So, you know, update the name of this, make your map more clear. Um, We also had, I thought, some really fantastic comments about set your goals a little more audacious. Let's let's get this done and let's do this right. And so um, there was some interest in and sort of bringing bringing this reality to the state faster and um, to do it more thoroughly. And so I thought that those comments were really great where, you know, the, the commission met on October 24th and a- approved the draft with some of those minor changes. Walk us through what are the next steps with implementing a five-year digital equity plan for our state? Sure. So the state will do the updates um, and then we'll, you know, the updates per the commission and per those public comments. And then the plan gets submitted to um, an agency within the Federal Department of Commerce, the National Telecommunications and Information Administration. And then it's up to that agency to really approve our plan or to update our plan. And then from that approved plan, so that digital equity plan, that allows the state to draw down these digital equity capacity dollars in 2024. And so those are the dollars the state can use for literacy and devices and um, to build sustainability and trust into digital equity systems across the state. Mm. And so this plan will allow us to get sort of future Digital Equity Act capacity dollars to really implement it. Off the ground. Yes. Alyssa, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for the time to talk about broadband and digital equity this morning. Alyssa Kenny, Broadband and Digital Equity Director at the Public Service Commission. It's a state capital report. I'm Kate Archer-Kent. You're listening to The Morning Show on the Ideas Network.